Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and sitting across from me in an unnamed uh, <laughs> conference room, let's call it, is, uh, is my good buddy Chris Watkins. Chris, what's going on, man? Nothing much, man. Uh, trying to trying to get the new icy pesos nickname popping off on Twitter. Uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Usually uh, when we do these things, I uh, I plug my guests' Twitter handle <laughs> and uh, all their online work. But um, in your case, I don't think I'm going to plug your Twitter handle. No. Um, first off, because I don't I don't want to say the word YOLO, <laughs> and uh, I just I guess I just did. And the second thing is. Um, I don't want listeners to think that I, uh, the hockey PDO cast advocates some of your retweets on occasion. No, no, not at all. Please, <laughs> please do not uh, follow uh, for that. Uh, find me in more official forums like this. Uh, but, but yeah, uh, but other than that, everything's going good, man. Um, all right, let's. Uh, it, we're going to do a little bit of a change of pace because a lot of these podcasts I've been doing recently have been sort of playoff centric, yep. which makes sense. It's what's going on right now, and everyone's interested in it. But I'm um, here in New York. You're here as well. And you and a friend of the podcast, Carolyn Wilkie, recently did a um, sort of a comprehensive GM ranking uh, for Hockey Crafts. Um, do you want to first sort of set the table a little bit in terms of the methodology and how yeah. you guys got to do it? And then we'll actually get into the rankings themselves. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, big shout out to Carolyn uh, for, for helping me out with that. Um, definitely couldn't have done it without her. Um, basically, it was just an idea. Um, we uh, I had been throwing around an idea of just like creating uh some sort of model of trying to project, you know, how each GM sort of approaches building a team. Do they lean more towards defensemen or, or forwards when they're drafting? You know, do they lean on free agency or, or the trade market in terms of acquiring talent? And so we talked about it, Carolyn and I talked about it, realized that was a little bit uh, of a hard task to sort of tackle um, in, in the time frame that we had. So we did a, a little bit more of a simpler exercise, but I think one that uh, worked out well for us. Basically, we took uh, six different categories. Um, so drafting, uh, uh, um, uh, signing unrestricted free agents, uh, college free agents, um, player development, um, and excuse me if I'm forgetting a couple here, uh, but basically stack rank those categories, right. add some weight to them, and then look at East GM's uh, moves since uh, the beginning of the new C- CBA in 2012, 2013. And just created a certain ranking across the board. Uh, so we put like more weight on things like drafting, uh, con- um, cap management, contract extensions, because we felt that had more of an indicator for success or failure for right. a particular GM. Um, and then basically did that through every team in the league. Uh, spent a couple of weeks researching and then figured out a couple. Uh, we also use uh, uh, Don't Tell Me About Hearts. Um, uh, guard metric as a way to sort of, you know, uh, level set uh, the the ratings that we did. Right. And so basically, yeah, I put that together over a three time span and then released it uh, earlier uh, earlier this month um, to, to much fanfare and back and forth and arguing with uh, Canucks fans on Twitter. Uh, but but it was good. It was, a, it was a fun exercise. Definitely, definitely try to be as thorough about it as possible. But um, one of the things that we really found in the exercise is that 
this is pretty hard to do in terms of <laughs> looking at each GM, especially for GMs without much of a track record and really saying, oh, well, they should get credit for this and not for that at the end of the day. Uh, but we, we feel pretty confident that we did due diligence and, yep. and, and allocating the right credit for these moves and stuff. Well, so I think that whenever you do a list like this, especially for, uh, for GMs, um, there's two complicating factors. Mm-hmm. One, um, it takes a lot of time for this stuff to play out and manifest itself. So it's it's very easy to sort of uh, like a great example is you guys had Pierre Dorian yeah. really late, really low on your list. And I have no issue with that at all because I've been highly uh, dubious of some of the moves he's made. At the same time, obviously, the Ottawa Senator just had a lot of success. Right. So it's very easy to sort of overreact and be like, well, maybe he's doing something great. But yeah. then you look at a lot of the key factors that were responsible for their run. And it's guys he just kind of inherited. Exactly. Like he was on the staff, but he wasn't necessarily being credited for drafting yeah. and signing Eric Carlson and trading for Kyle Turris and doing all that sort exactly. of stuff. Exactly. And a perfect example of that is Victor Hedman, yeah. uh, you know, who Tampa Bay drafted number two um, in 2009. Right. And really took a couple of years to really get his footing in the league. And so you can say, you know, uh, another big time draft hit. Um, was Zach Bogosian, yep. who was drafted, I, I believe, the year before in two, uh, number two. By your, by your Atlanta Thrashers? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, my beloved Atlanta Thrashers, rest in peace. Um, and, and it was really hard to sort of, I mean, Hedman has always been a better player, but it was really hard to separate those two. And then all of a sudden, he really took off. Yep. And, and now, like five years later, after that draft pick is made, hey, this is a stud blue liner. You know, this is a number one guy and a Norris Trophy uh, candidate. But there's no way to tell that in the, in the preceding years. Uh, right. At that point, is career and so that's where it was really difficult and that's actually why we set that 2012-2013 cutoff point was say no we can't go back infinitely in time and and do that let's just say every move from here on out we'll give uh, GMs credit uh, or non-credit for and you see actually quite a few GMs uh, the longer tenure GMs like Ken Holland and Chuck Fletcher actually really lost out because of that but we had to start somewhere well and and, then and the other thing and we were discussing this before we went on on air quote unquote I guess (laughs) you can go on our podcast um is this it feels like more and more teams are sort of taking this uh group think approach or mentality where you can't necessarily (laughs) just point to one guy like you may have done in the past and be like this guy has pure autonomy pure control and everything you know good or bad is credit to him we're seeing a lot of teams like you know the florida panthers or uh, the toronto maple Leafs, where there's a bunch of guys in house and it, it, it's tricky because uh, you see how you know the human mind can work sometimes, and how biases are involved. <laughs> because you know, for more analytically inclined people right. like you, Carolyn, and myself, I think you know a guy like Kyle Dubas is someone we all point to it <laughs> yeah. as you know he's paving the way for people down exactly. the road, and you know he's sort of our patron saint. Right. But the the problem is you get into is every time the Leafs do something that winds up looking or 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 at the time or even in, in hindsight is a good move. You go, oh well, that must that must have been a Kyle Dubas move. But then when they do something more, it's like, <laughs> right, exactly. wow, this is just old school Lou. He's lost his mind. There we go again, right. throwing money at Matt Martin. And it's like, <laughs> you know, it's that might be the case sometimes, but sometimes it might just be us sort of not knowing exactly who's responsible for what. And, and, and you see this not only within teams. Um, Florida is another great example of this, where the the lines of communication are very, yes. <laughs> very uh, abstract to the outside world. But even uh, within the league where you know Tim Murray was actually considered an analytical GM at the time that he was hired at least more analytically minded than the normal GM um, at the time he was hiring and did some things that would be considered hey Tank Hey, Jack Eichel's in the next draft. Let me just throw out as many games as possible and field the worst possible team, you know, that could put on the ice to to guarantee myself uh, a chance at uh, one of these top two picks in the yep. 2015 draft. That at the time was considered like the right thing to do. It just didn't work out from the other moves that he was making. But right. we also look at it and say, well, all the analytically, you know, minded teams are doing well and all the ones who aren't are these old school guys who stuck in their ways. And really, it hasn't necessarily quite played out like that. I think there's some uh, positive correlation between sort of taking a more analytical approach 
and really just avoiding bad moves. And, and you'll see that a lot in the rankings where we punish teams a lot for bad moves. Yes. Um, but sort of taking that group-minded approach, there's less moves where everybody agrees, Edmonton notwithstanding, where everybody agrees, like, hey, that guy got fleeced. Like, I think we've moved far away from that era uh, of the NHL. And I think teams are just much smarter about these decisions nowadays yeah. because they have so many voices in the room where someone's going to raise their hand and say, hey, that might not be the best idea. Now they may get fired if they talk about it publicly. <laughs> Uh, but you're not referring to any Montreal Canadiens no, no, employees, no, 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 nobody, none of my you know friends on Twitter. Right? <laughs> but, but I, I think people are much smarter about these decisions nowadays, just because there's not that one dominant voice in the room that's saying "hella high water, we're going to make this decision." Well, I do think that's an interesting point uh, that you brought up there because it applies to many different walks of life and, mm-hmm. and jobs where. Um, you know, you can make a lot of good moves in succession, and that's great. But if you make one disastrous right. move, that can have like a much, uh, more, a much higher intensity yeah. effect and longer term ramifications. Like if you sign a guy to a really long term big money contract and he just flames out, exactly. Like all of a sudden, you're like, that, 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 that can be crippling, whereas you can sign a bunch of really productive players for cheap, it, but that it's going to, you know, it, it's funny how those that dynamic works. Hand in hand. Yeah, and, and, and it's one of the things we noticed in uh, when we did a sort of a postmortem of the rankings is that we looked at, for example, uh, the the category that had the lowest average uh, rating was signing unrestricted free agents. Right. And, and when you think about it, it makes sense. It, you know, you're signing guys who are either past their prime or aging out of their prime to big money extensions yes. that they uh, you probably would be able to negotiate a hometown discount that got was already on your team and so you see something like that happen it's like oh well now you know Milan Luce going to the, the Oilers yeah hopefully those first two years work out because this is really going to set the team yeah. back long term that's just a, a, a weight down on the team's cap space same thing with the Dustin Brown extension um, one of the Literally the day that we were releasing the rankings, uh, Toronto announced that they signed Zaitsev to you know that seven year deal. Yes, and I want to say eighty twenty. Uh, the the feedback on it was like, hey, nice player, good guy, you know, good guy to have him around, but seven years for you know second pairing defenseman. That might not age very well, right. you know, at, at the tail end of that contract. And it's like, why are you making that decision? So we actually moved uh, Toronto a couple of spaces back based on that one. You know, it's hard to judge right now, but we're, we're going to say, you know, from first glance, it's probably not the best move for the long term future of the team, especially in the di- direction that they're going. Well, and that's the um, that's the trick, and I don't necessarily think there's necessarily one right answer, or one mm-hmm. way, to, one solution. But like for a lot of GMs, it, I mean, the NHL is really like a "what have you done lately exactly. for me" business, and if you're looking out for yourself and for your job and for your future career. You're trying to win as many games as yeah. you can. Maybe more so as a coach than a GM, but at the same time, like you can't. If you go, I mean, we just saw this with Tim Murray. If you go like three, four, or five <laughs> years with nothing really to show yeah. for it, like you're probably going to wind up losing your job and and you're going to lose some of that luster you might have had. Like, right. remember how people were talking about Tim Murray <laughs> when he was just when he just went to Buffalo? Yeah, it was like you know, oh, this guy. Is going to revolutionize the game. Like he's he, he he's the new wave, exactly. and, and then now like he got fired by the Sabers, and I didn't really see anyone you know bemoaning it. And it, there I, was no Sam Hinkie memorial. I don't I don't hear much buzz right now about like oh like my team needs to fire our GM and, and hire Tim yeah, Murray immediately. There's like, no Viking no, funeral for for him, and, and, and you see that a lot, and I think that creates a moral hazard for teams. Yeah. But also, I mean, you understand the incentives, as you said. A team, uh, a GM is looking like, hey, uh, that's why the, fo- the coach is often the first guy to go. It's like, hey, uh, either I can get fired, I can right. fire this other guy in place of blame on him. It's like, hey, just give me another couple of years. You know, let's actually implement my system, so on and so forth. Uh, and Tim Murray, I think, is a great example. And I've gotten in a lot of trouble comparing Tim Tim Murray and Sam Hinkie. Uh, I, I think, in my eyes, they, there's a lot of. Uh, there's a lot of parallels, I think. Yeah, a lot, a lot of similarities, but I think at the end of the day, the the biggest similarity between Hinky and Murray was not only the tanking, but it's like, okay, we well, have that one star player, but what about the other 22 players on the roster? What about the other you know 11 guys around Joel Embiid? And right. So he's like, hey, you have this great magical rookie, but okay, there's other players on the team. You have to do... You've done the tanking part now. Right. What's the next step? And I don't think either one of those guys figured it out in the NBA or the NHL, and now they're out of a job. Now... People are, you know, much more high in Sam Hinkie than Tim Murray, but I do think 
Murray was on the right track, but there wasn't any any other track record of success to say, hey, this guy can lead us to a championship five years from now. Right. Yeah, it's definitely much easier to, uh, you know, tear <laughs> something down and destroy than it is to actually build something yeah. back up. Um, I think another good example of, of that of this, that point we were just talking about is uh, a guy like Dean Lombardi, for yes. example, because it's pretty clear, especially towards the end of his run, that he was making moves with the mindset of, well, if we can keep this window we have open right now and maybe win another cup, none of it's going to matter. Then I'm going to ride right. off into the sunset. And so now you have, you know, what is it, Rob Blake and Luke yeah. Robitaille taking over, and um, they're they're kind of handcuffed here because there's just <laughs> a lot of bad contracts for aging yeah. players, and it's like it's going to take them a few years probably to dig out of this, and right. then at that point are they still going to have enough uh staying power or not a long enough leash within the organization to see it through and that's like that, <laughs> that, that, that's 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 such an interesting dynamic here because it was pretty clear for anyone looking at it regardless of how much inside knowledge you had what dean lombardi's motives were yeah. regardless of how potentially harmful they could be for the franchise <laughs> long term right and now they're in such a weird spot as a, and, as a, and a perfect counterpoint and i'm sure dean will love this is i i said similar things about stan Bowman and yes. sort of you know his past couple of years where the sort of sheen has worn off a little bit uh, of you know his regime and and, and the team's management um, in the meantime and, and so two moves I look at really are the Andrew Ladd trade where you know they just traded uh, Brandon Saad got back uh, I believe a first and uh, uh, Marco Deneau yep. and then flipped that over to to Winnipeg uh, for Andrew Ladd and. You know, and that move didn't work out. It just yes, didn't work out. Not but <laughs> my justification at the time was Marco Deneau is not going to be part of the next Blackhawks contender by the time that guy, if he ever becomes right. something of value, he's not going to be part of the next championship team. Right. And so to me, that made sense where it's a worthwhile risk to say, hey, we like this player, but, you know, our window is right now. And we yeah. have to go all in for that. Uh, so that's a key component of it. And then you look at the extensions that they signed uh, uh, Taves and Kane to. Yes. And my argument, well, I didn't necessarily agree with those. I believe those are some make-right deals. I, I believe those two are underpaid in their prime, especially Kane, um, who still, still played at a very high level. Um, they were underpaid a couple million dollars a year. Right. So now they're overpaid a bit. But my argument was, okay, well, that championship they won in uh, 2015 against the Lightning – well, if they won that this year after they signed the contracts, they were like, oh, yeah, this is great extension. Yes. It worked out. Yeah. And so it's funny how we sort of retroactively look at those sort of moves and stuff. It's still not a great move, like, at the end of the day. Right. But people would be more, oh, yeah, they signed these guys, these crazy extensions, but then they won a championship the next year, and we're all for it. And so it's something, you know, you'll see this play out throughout the GM rankings where it's like, the Canadians' justification for the Shea Weber trade was, well, if we win, you know, the next couple of years with Shea Weber on the team, well, we can live with the fact that, you know, he'll suck, you know, at age 39 yeah. and pay, you know, ungodly amounts of money. Right. Um, unfortunately, it just hasn't played out quite like that. But you understand the reasoning and justification behind it. And it's like, as a fan, you sort of have just to make peace with it. Like, yeah. do I want to win a championship, you know, one championship or go for, you know, make myself a contender for the next five years, but never really, you know, get over that hump? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, I mean, you do have to, like, it's tough because it's kind of uh, thinking with your head versus your heart because it's really tough to, like, even if you stack the, uh, stack the deck in your favor, yeah. it's still really tough to win a title yeah. in, in the NHL. So, like, you can make all these win now moves. And you could easily just run into a hot goalie and lose right. in like the first round, and then you're like, "Well, we now have nothing to show for. We, we, you know, we didn't win a title this year, and now our future's compromised." But at the same time, um, your window to do so is so short yeah. with the, with the current system. And you know, we'll see. I, I think the Lightning will be fine, and and I think that they're going to bounce back next right. season and make the playoffs and be a contender again. But it's funny, like just looking at how much has changed in a year where they make that run yeah. and they lose to the Blackhawks. Yeah. And then all of a sudden people are like, well, but look at the age of all their players. They're going to be right. back. And right. then next year and then last year, you know, they were really close. They were within a game of making it back. Right. But then all of a sudden things just go wrong. Guys get injured. Maybe guys don't continue progressing the way you thought they were. And all of a sudden that window closes for you. Not that it's closed for them, but it, it, it's funny how one year or two years can change the, your sort of perspective on, on a team. So you can't really just take it for granted if you, you know, if you're kind of just sitting back and being conservative one season going, well, we'll be back next year because exactly. you very well might not be. Which is why, and I agree with the sentiment that a lot of people were pushing for Toronto and Edmonton to go all in, yeah. you know, this year, you know, 
hey, you have Conor McDavid on the entry-level contract. You have Austin Matthews on the entry-level contract. Yeah. These guys are going to provide value that you will not be able to recoup at any point in time in the future. Yeah. So why don't you go all in now and make a couple moves? That, and I can understand, hey, we don't want to sort of overextend ourselves. We may not be – we're not one move away. And so it does not make sense to sort of sacrifice that future upside right. to, to go all in right now um, versus Edmonton, which you sort of did see that play out with the Taylor Hall trade. Yeah. It's like – yeah, you know, you may have brought the team, you know, 3% closer to winning the cup this year, but the overall expected amount of cups that you'll win in the next five years has gone down without yes. having, you're going to look, you're going to be looking for a guy like Taylor Hall in the market anyway within the next five years. Right. And now you just lost the best way to get one, which was to keep the one that you already had. Yep. And so you sort of see a contrast between both, both thought processes and it's like, well, which one is going to be better? Well, we'll see five years from now when, you know, Edmonton is raising this third straight <laughs> cup banner or, yep. you know, I'm, I'm just re- predicting a whole bunch of doom and gloom for Toronto because that's all I know in my right. lifetime uh, for them in particular. But uh, you can definitely see what, you know, a different set of GMs taking a different approach uh, to either one of those two teams in that situation. Yeah. Yeah. You really got to pick your spots. Okay. Let's, so I think we've set the table here pretty well. Let's, um, Let's get into the GM rankings. Here. Okay. Um, so I'm going to pull it up. I haven't, like, I, I read it when you guys released it. I obviously didn't memorize the, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's the full order. Um, there's 31 GMs. Yes. Um, okay. So I, I'm, I'm looking at the back half of this, and I don't think that anyone is going to really take much issue. Like, Canucks fans are mad that you guys said Jim Benning, Benning 31. Of course. I don't see any argument that anyone has been worse at their job than he has. Right. Unless your argument is going to be, um, well, it's too early to tell. Right. And, and so for Jim Benning in particular, you know, I think, I think the situation that he's walked into, yep. it, it's kind of hard to, to parse out how much of it is his own doing, how much of it is management. Um, and, and this is the other thing just in general is like, when you have management support to do whatever. So uh, Arizona is a perfect example where, you know, any other GM that had this season at Arizona probably has, you know, it's the first year for John Chaka, but any other GM has that season, they're probably getting fired. Right. Or, 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 or they're on the hot seat. Something, yes. something has to change dramatically or else you're not going to be here anymore. Yes. But, uh, you know, Chaka has management's explicit approval to sort of go in that manner and right. rebuild the team in that way. I'm not sure if Jim Benning has that same um, – edict to go and do that with that being said you know one of the things that we included in the rankings was you know uh, it's total uh, goals above replacement metric and started tracking that from the time that gm took over to till the current day and his is by far the worst one in terms of what the talent level team was when he took over and what it was uh currently and his you know the team just has gotten much worse in the in the current day and then doesn't have really much in the pipeline in the future to say well you know they're getting worse well you know they're going to turn things around quickly there's not much to say that that's the case yeah yeah so i mean i definitely think there's been there's been a lot of clamoring uh or there's been noise in Mm -hmm. vancouver that you know ownership meddles a lot and they're involved and maybe released about jim benning to be honest you know (laughs) and 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 they did they don't want uh to go that Arizona yeah. Coyotes, Buffalo Sabres, Philadelphia 76ers route of let's blow it up and just yeah. suck completely for five years. Uh, the problem with that is you get what the Canucks are right now, right. where they're clearly not good enough to compete. I mean, yeah. they're the second team, second worst team in the league <laughs> this year. But at the same time, they don't have the types of high upside assets that right. you would hope a team that hasn't been good for a few years right. now would have. And that's the issue where like, there isn't, that's been my entire argument with what's wrong with the Canucks right now, where it's like, it's fine that they, that they suck right now. The problem is there's no real reason to be excited about exactly. being a Canucks fan or going to the games or caring about the team because they took all these conservative uh, steps in the draft and in free agency and in trades where right. they, it's like they were trying to get guys who could step in immediately and sort of be these band-aid fixes. And what you're left with is a bunch of mediocrity. And yeah. that's the worst place you can be in in pro sports. Exactly. And, and I think one of, one of the areas that we were considering looking at for the rankings was this sort of franchise sort of direction and, and, and strategy. Like, you know, where is your franchise going? You know, Pete Blackhawks, you know, we're all about speed. You know, Pete Kings, we're all about, you know, beating people up on the boards and right. sort of chasing the puck. Um, and, and just even in terms of, hey, we're rebuilding or we're contending, we're going all in. 
no one has any idea what it is for the Canucks right now. And so you sign Louis Erickson where you're like, hey, let's play the young guys. Like, yeah. what are you doing? And so there's no real clear direction to say this. the team is clearly building towards this. Like, at least in Ottawa, uh, which is why we have Pierre, you know, a little bit of a bump up in rankings. Like, we know that, you know, uh, the owner is incentivized to want to get as many playoff games as possible. I'm fine with being mediocre because it brings us additional revenue and money. You know, I'm looking at uh, uh, a cap uh, value per cap hit. Right. That's the key metric in Ottawa. We know that. Cost per point. Exactly. So, so that makes sense. Um, And so we understand like that's the, the team's moves are incentivized that way. We don't really know that about Vancouver, and so we can't just give them the benefit of the doubt to saying, like, oh, well, in a different situation. And that's the other way to look at these rankings is, you know, you spin the wheel, you put any of these GMs on any of the other 30 teams in the league, how many more, uh, how many of these teams are going to improve with this guy in place rather than the current one? I don't think any team is being approved by Jim Bennett being in, <laughs> in, in the driver's seat. Yeah. Yeah, no, and, and, and that's, that's fair because I think – you know, even if there's individual moves uh, you might disagree with, if there's an actual like sort of coherent plan yeah. in place, you can at least defend the move and be like, well, it fits it fits with the plan. Right. Whereas if you're like you draft Jared McCann in the first <laughs> round, one pick or two picks or whatever ahead yeah. of David Pasternak. And then you like force him into the lineup when he's not ready and he struggles, but he shows potential. And then you trade him for right. Eric Branson. <laughs> it's like what? Do you, like what? What are you trying to do yeah. there? And that, I think that is where people can take real issue with what Jim Benning's done because, like, if he was trying, if he was going the sure. Ottawa Senators route, Ottawa Senators route of we need to make the playoffs. Yeah. Um, and he just kept making moves to do that. That's one thing, but it's right. like there's all this like autopsy turvy <laughs> up and down, back and forth, yeah. and that's that's indefensible. And, 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 and yeah, and quickly to to end on that, I, I I think that trade is a perfect example of the one of the things that we looked at, and one of the things I've actually been critical of a lot of GMs for is like. You know, I haven't really seen a lot of people make moves that were like, okay, you know, me playing my NHL GM franchise mode. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't have made myself like, okay, that's a little bit off the cuff, but I can see the thought process behind that. A lot of moves are sort of like, okay, like 7% of your fan base would have voted for that one if you had a cell phone phone. Right. Uh, the Gabranson one trade is like, okay, well, that seems a little bit off the cuff, but if it works out on the ice, then I guess we can defend it. It clearly didn't. So yeah. it was like, what was the logic behind that? There, I still haven't seen a definitive plan as to making moves like that. And so this is one of the things that we have to weigh when we look at GM, GMs making moves. You know, uh, the top-ranked GM, you know, David Poyle, uh, you know, he— Hey, why do you spoil the list like that, okay? We're, we're, we're counting down here in order. You can't— Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he, he's in the— he's in the Why, why are people going to keep listening? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, we no, know no, who's no. number one. No, no, no. But, but there were some moves that he made where it's like, okay, I'm not sure about that, you yeah. know. You know, trade Seth Jones for you know Ron Johansson, but okay, now you start seeing playing out on the ice where it works out. Uh, trust me, there's plenty of other intrigue and, and stuff uh, further down the list, but you know, I, I think that's a clear and consistent message that uh, Carolina and I came up with uh, about these uh, about these players going forward. Yeah. Um, so Kenny Holland at 29. Yeah. Um, uh. I think here's the thing: if you were um, if you're like just looking at the totality it's fair that he's not the worst gm i think if you're looking at sort of like a five-year window yeah. or what he's done lately or where the team is headed moving forward i think there's an art like if there's one argument to be made that jim benning shouldn't be the worst G- worst on this mm-hmm. list i think it might be for ken holland because he's sort of uh he's done all the bad things we just said about like dean lombardi who's right just ahead of him on the list yeah. but without the actual recent success where like he gave out all these loyalty contracts right. to guys like darren hell yeah. and luke glenn denning and you go on down like danny de kaiser yeah. nicholas cronwell jonathan erickson and it, you know, all of a sudden have like all this money devoted to guys that aren't mm. good but you're you don't have the high-end guys to sort of like you're not in a position yeah. to go for win now yeah it, um yeah and ken holland uh ken holland is actually probably the best example of this where there's a survivorship bias yeah. of the guys at the lower you know basically if you look at it in tiers you know this sort of bottom tiers 
Jim Benning and uh, Pierre Dioran, these other guys who have actually accomplished a lot in their careers, but just not recently. Right. Um, and, and, and Ken Holland would be a perfect example of that, where we almost gave him the benefit of doubt. Like, it's not like this guy's an idiot. This guy clearly right. is a Hall of Fame executive who's made amazing moves. And even still with the current direction of the team, you have Dylan Larkin, who, you know, had an up and down right. sophomore season, but an amazing rookie year. Uh, Andreas see who's you know, my favorite player, yeah. who I, my girlfriend listed as yeah, well, in my phone. Uh, you know, you have plenty of players who are like, there's some level of excitement. They may not have been developed correctly or brought along correctly, but you can sort of see there's like still some of the magic that's left there. Right. Whereas opposed to Jim Benning is like, okay, I'm not really sure what is the like. Yeah. You know, he has nothing to hang his hat on. Exactly. And yeah. so, and so we sort of gave a little bit more credit to people who have done it and have a track record of success yep. and just have had it few or five or six bad years right. um, over guys with no track record and a couple of bad moves. Yeah. No, I think that's fair. And, and like I, I've made this uh, point a number of times before on the show and in my writing, but like if you want to make the argument that Ken Holland should still be like their vice president or sure. whatever, where he's like, in, he's sort of, he's not involved with personnel moves, but he's involved like in bigger picture stuff yeah. and sort of who gets hired and sort of making sure everything still runs smoothly. Perfectly fine right. with that. It just like the track record, the recent track record of who he thinks is good at hockey and not is maybe not, yeah. uh, not his strong suit anymore. Maybe the game has passed him by a little bit on that regard. Well, and you also have to remember the Mike Babcock effect. And you'll see this with a, yes. another controversial name on the list uh, of uh, um, um, Dean Lombardi. Yes. Yeah. Well, he's dead. So, so you, so let, let, let's, let's run this through an order. You Jim Benning, 31, yeah. Pierre Dorian, 30, Ken Holland, 29, Dean Lombardi, 28, Peter Shirelli, 27. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because, uh, you know, there's been, I went on this uh, rant recently about what's going on with Jordan Eberle right now sure. because it's pretty clear that, you know, the wheels are in motion here for sort of like a little bit of a smear right. campaign. You're hearing now that he's not taking it seriously. He wasn't he wasn't practicing hard this Where year. This he might like, uh, he might like, par- I've heard, you know, he likes partying a bit yeah. too much. It's like, hmm. I'm sure all this stuff was true back when he scored 34 goals. Right. Unfortunately, unfortunately for him, he was shooting like... 20% that exactly. year and this year he shot under 10 and it's funny how uh, that can change the way the, 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 the light you see the guy in um, and so it's very easy to envision a scenario repeating itself from last summer where now they're going to sell low on Jordan Eberle and they're going to spin it as you know it's for the better long term yes, future of this game yes and if he has a good year wherever he goes it'll be well he needed a fresh start yeah. he couldn't do that here and you know it's very we've seen this time and time again not just with Oilers with right. other teams um I just the th- the funny thing with Shirelli is he's in a perfect spot here where ultimately none of it may matter because having Connor McDavid <laughs> right now for cheap is such like a is such a uh, luxury that it raises their baseline where you know they right. he might not be optimizing their team to win a cup but it's going to be hard for them to suck with how cheap Connor McDavid is right exactly. now. Exactly. Like, th- th- there's so much wiggle room and, for and, error. And, 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 and that's basically it. I mean, I think, to be honest, you know, we were to be perfectly a, a <laughs> objective. Like, yeah, Chirelli would be a little bit higher. I mean, he has made some decent moves. Yes, yeah, the Cam like, Talbot is yeah, a, exactly. a, a like great that, yeah. that, that was a great move. The way, um, sort of as we talked about before we, before we got on, the other way that we looked at it was not only if you did a roulette one and – attach this guy to any of the other 30 teams in the league but you know how much closer or further away did this person move move their team right. to a championship and it can be argued hey you know the Oilers made it to game seven in the second round this year but who knows how far they could have made it with Taylor Hall instead of Adam Larson right you know? and heaven forbid if they sign Chris Russell to a big long-term extension yes this year you know that might be moving the goalposts even further away and so you know, while I think Shirelli has made some good trades at his GM, and I apologize, someone called me out on it. I said he traded away three first uh, number one picks. Uh, uh, second was the number two pick in that draft. Yes. Uh, so apologies for that uh, uh, to Shirelli family. Um, but there's clearly been a track record of moves that have sort of hurt his teams in the, in the future and left Boston and not the best place yep. for Don Sweeney to take over because of who's next on the list. Exactly. Uh, because of short sided moves like that. Right. Yeah. Um, Don Sweeney. Uh, oh, boy. Um, yeah, it's interesting because obviously whenever you think of Don Sweeney, I feel like he's always going to be linked to that uh, famous, dra- infamous draft where yeah. he had the three picks back to back to back. And 
he somehow has nothing to show for any of those three guys at this point. Yeah, and I think the exact quote I said was the guys picked directly after, uh, I think he picked 13, 14, and 15. Each of the guys picked 16 through 20 all have uh, either have already played in the league or are much closer to playing in the league than any of the guys that Sweeney drafted. Um, and yeah, that, I mean, even on the day that those trades were being made, so the Dougie Hamilton trade and then the sort of Martin Jones trade was like, okay, well, like we said before, it's like, I see where you're going with this, but no, I don't see where you're going now. See, and then like, it just jumped so far back and forth that I had no idea what the hell was going on. And they really haven't panned out uh, for him and uh, as well as a lot of the other moves um, in the meantime either. So, I mean, I think he stepped into not a great situation in Boston where the team's clearly on the decline. Right. But it's not much to say that, uh, you know, the moves that he's made since then has put, has put the team on the right, uh, back on the right track. And especially with firing Claude Julian this year. Uh, yeah, I'm not really really too sold on him being there for the next Bruins championship team. Yeah, the, that, that, that's the thing where it's like, yeah, they are on the decline. But there's also, like, they were a pretty good team this year. And, and there's a definite, like, pat, you could brainstorm uh, a realistic scenario in which, you know, you could make a few moves in the margins yeah. that really would have helped that team. Yeah. And I, I don't think you make the argument that he did yeah. that. And, and so I think having him down on the, low on this list is fair, <laughs> even though he hasn't really been running the team for that long. Yet. Exactly. Um, so you guys have Garth Snow at 24. <laughs> and I don't think, you know, I made this point. Uh, I did a preseason uh, podcast on the GM rankings. And, like, over the past five years, if you pulled me at certain points, I don't think any <laughs> any GM would have more volatility yeah. in where I personally viewed them in the hierarchy than yes. Garth Snow, where it's like, you know, for a while there, he I was like, you know, this guy isn't long for this job. He, I don't know what he's doing. And then all of a sudden, like, they drafted really well. They made all these, like, savvy moves, yeah. like trading for Nick Letty yeah. and all this stuff, like taking advantage of other teams that were in compromising positions. And I was like, you know, this is really, like, I, I, I see a plan here. I like right. this. And then, like, this year, just the wheels just fell off everything yeah. uh, Islanders related so badly that – now I'm just wondering, like, where where does he stand in this? Where where do they go as a team moving well, forward? The, big, the biggest concern I would have uh, for the Islanders especially is w- what does John Tavares think of all of this? And sort of looking at the direction of the team, is this a team? I mean, it's very rare for a big-time free agent to move in the NHL, to be honest. So yeah. I don't really expect much to happen on that front. But, you know, as you said, I, I, I think the 2014 – uh, 15 team have I have a couple of different models out there and that team was like the highest ranked on all of my models in like the past 10 years which made no sense to me whatsoever I had to double check and recalibrate to make sure that was correct but as you said lots of savvy moves lots of great uh, you know uh, great signings at the time or great trades at the time and it just didn't work out this year uh, can he do it again it remains to be seen I think where we are in the rankings is really that sort of morass of 15 to 24, where any of those GMs are interchangeable, and the differences between Garth Snow and you know whoever we have at number 15 uh, is probably negligible at best. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a wait and see approach with him to see if he can recapture that magic. Yeah, no, it's uh, I'm sure that I'm going to change my opinion on Garth Snow as a GM uh, <laughs> at least like 10 more times between yeah, exactly. uh, between now and, and the end of his tenure and, and at the Long Island. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about uh, Ray Shiro and Jim Rutherford here, and let's lump them together yeah. because even though um, you know Shiro is in like the low twenties, I guess high twenties, depending right. on how you look at it, and uh, Rutherford's much higher. Um, it's it's interesting to me. You know, we talked about how a guy like Pierre Dorian, mm-hmm. for example, inherits mm-hmm. certain players, and like Ray Shiro was around and responsible for Correct. putting much of this Penguins team together. Um, Obviously, you can make the argument that, you know, Jim Rutherford's done some really good stuff in terms of coming in and, you know, Mm -hmm. acquires Nick Bonino, um, Carl Hagelin, you know, Trevor Daly. Like, he makes all these moves for guys that have been very useful and what the team really needed because they had... Uh, Crosby and Malkin for all those years, but they really struggled with uh, finding guys to support them. And they were always like really banking on these yeah. veterans like a Ginla and Morrow and Douglas Murray. And it was all this stuff where you're like, 
you have the important stuff now just make all these smart little moves (laughs) but sometimes those ones can be the most elusive for some of these GMs exactly and and so Cheryl is an example of someone who's really hurt by the 2012-2013 cutoff where a lot of those moves they made you know Chris Letang and uh, uh, sorry I'm escaping the the, uh, Olimata you know uh, uh, draft picks like that don't show up in this Mm -hmm. and so you know what moves did he make in the last two uh two years in this time with pittsburgh you know things that really didn't move the needle and uh you know actually pulled the team further away from uh, from championship contention and so when we looked at that in aggregate plus also his moves in new jersey you know most of the moves are relatively decent but new jersey hasn't really done anything to say oh that's a much more improved team other than the taylor hall trade you know the rest of the team was like declining or just boring is all get out yeah uh and so it's really hard to say you know allocate credit to him for that so i think yeah so we had a sort of longer window um he'd be much higher in the rankings but right. over the last five years we really can't say like yeah this guy if we traded if he switched uh places with uh bob murray in anaheim that right. team would be much better in that time span yeah no i think that's fair i mean it, it, it's it's so tough for him because obviously he inherited a pretty bad situation in, in new jersey yeah. and that team isn't necessarily looking poised to make any sort of relevant noise for a few years here. But at the same time, like I look at most of the moves he's done and it's funny how it's changed because towards the end of Shiro's tenure in in Pittsburgh, I was like, they need to replace him because he, he isn't doing the job to put them over the hump, which is what Rutherford did. But now I look at most of his moves in in New Jersey and I I like them. Like it's all, it's it's small stuff, right? It's like, you know, you get Bo Bennett for nothing and he's like a useful third liner. Like, you know, you sign Johan Abitu out of, like, he's playing in Finland. And, you know, they didn't really use him as much as I would have liked. But it's, like, small, interesting little stuff that he's done really well. Obviously, uh, the Taylor Hall trade is a home run. Right. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if they do wind up, you know, cashing in uh, Corey Schneider for future pieces yeah. now while his, well, his value is still and, really high. And to me, and to me, that's a perfect example of a move that probably should be made. Yeah. And it's like a, okay, like, can you actually, you know, right. commit to doing it, uh, given the direction of the team? Like, that to me jumps them up at least five, six spots in the rankings because you recognize the direction of your team. You got assets for, you know, a great goalie who could probably get you a lot on the market right now. Can you do what is necessary to make your team a better contender uh, for the long term? Uh, the Taylor Hall trade was definitely a great first step. Up. And then, as you said, there's a lot of uh, incremental moves along the way that I think have put the Devils in a position to be able to succeed in the future. Right. Um, they just haven't panned out quite yet or, or haven't quite yet. Even the Taylor Hall trade, you know, uh, as far as it's got, I mean, Taylor had a sort of down year. We also just look at the talent around him was like, right. well, you didn't put him in the best position to succeed because you don't have the other players right. there quite yet. So will he be there long enough to see it through? Hopefully for him. But and, you know, that's a wait and see approach um, yeah. as well. I think that's fair. I think I, have, I haven't had um, you know too many issues with this list. I, I think it's it's you know it's obviously the methodology is well thought out, and I, I agree with most of it. I think I think you guys had Doug Wilson a bit too low. Um, he's seventeenth. Yeah. Um, listen, I get I, I get the argument uh, against him. Uh, at the same time, I'm, I'm such a sucker for um, you know we see this so rarely in pro sports where there's like patience involved sure. and actually <laughs> seeing stuff through yeah. and often uh you know some of these guys like Dean Lombardi and Ken Holland get praised for loyalty but like it, it's for all the wrong reasons right. where they're just like signing these guys who aren't actually worth the money to long-term yeah. deals to sh- to, as, as a sign of good faith for what they've done for the franchise yeah. whereas like I think that we should be more praising like the type of loyalty that Doug Wilson has actually and and the San Jose uh Sharks organization has shown in terms of like they had so many opportunities to just completely right. blow everything up at year after year of Not- unfortunate playoff disappointment um and you know last year it was finally rewarded they made that sure. magical run obviously fell short but still it was uh, you know took the franchise to whole new heights this year uh with injuries i think it didn't go as 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 planned or as we would have hoped but like i i, I I don't know. I, I I like the job he's done. So so that one was definitely a difficult one. Um, but you know your interpretation of loyalty uh, in my in mind of inertia and sort of you know wanted to make a move but just not you know finding the market to that do that is it. fair. I, I, yes. I think I think if uh, if he had his druthers about it, right? And if Doug Wilson could have moved Joe Thornton and Patrick Marlowe after they lost uh, you know a series to the Kings, I think he would have. Yes. And we're talking a, a very different story. With uh, with that being said, I hundred percent agree the, that. 
you just look at those players outside of it, Thornton and Marlowe. You think uh, uh, Logan Couture, uh, Favelski, yep. um, you know Thomas Hurdle. Yep. Uh, you know sort of Brent Burns uh, acquisition and, and signing and extension. Yep. You know those moves uh, as a, even the Mark Jones trade. Like those moves have all made that team uh, relevant much longer than it should have been in comparison to the rest of the peers. Right. You know one of the arguments I had in, in my presentation at Van Hack was that. San Jose was able to sort of hold the fort while Chicago and L.A. just sort of fell by the wayside yep. last year, which is why they were able to make that cup run is because he's been able to sort of refresh that pipeline over and over again with right. this infusion of talent that's made it seem much better, you know, for the past 10 years. And you look at the possession stats, all the advanced numbers, San Jose is either, you know, top two or three in, in literally all those top uh, metrics. Yep. And so he deserves a lot of credit. Um, and once again, we're sort of in that area where – all of the GMs, you start to shuffle them, uh, and you really start to get uh, – you're going to get a pretty good GM no matter what. You know, yeah. There's a reason why these guys still have jobs, even at, at, through the ups and downs of the team. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm looking further down this list, and, and you know, it's a lot of the names you'd expect. Like I, I, it, It's interesting because there are some guys like Mark Bergerman, for example, where he's like – the range of outcomes for all his moves are so diverse, where he makes moves – that you love, yeah. and you're like, that is a fantastic, smart move, yeah. and then he trades P.K. Sudan for Shea Weber. So the biggest so <laughs> pushback we got for Bergman in particular was we had his uh, strength as uh, player development. And, yeah. and Canadian Twitter is like, oh my God, what the hell? Like, this whole list, uh, list is invalidated. And I can understand uh, the thought process, especially around Alex Galchenyuk, and sort of, you know, even P.K., sort of how uh, that saga ended for the team. But when you look at the team in comparison to 2012, 2013, or, you know, uh, you basically carry Price's peak, um, whereas just carry Price and a bunch of other guys on the team in PK. Yep. Uh, the team's uh, possession metrics have gotten significantly better over the past couple of years. Um, so the, the, you know, five on five numbers have gotten much better. And even in the year that uh, uh, Price went out last year, you know, the team was actually pretty good on ice. They just had horrible goaltending and, and pretty unreliable. Yep. And, and a lot of that was made without sort of big-time free agent signings, big-time trades. It was sort of just in-house development. So we gave them a lot of credit for that. Um, but I can definitely see uh, the argument where, you know, Canadians fans say this guy deserves to be fired. We would have won two or three championships by now uh, if it had not been him, him at the helm. So right. it's, it's kind of hard to tell. I mean, I like the Claude Julian signing. You know, I think most people agree that's an upgrading coach. Um, yep. We didn't really put uh, a rating for that in the rankings. But, you know, I think that's the right direction for the team. And it's just hoping that, you know, even with this Weber trade and the contract that will sort of hang around the team for the long term, you know, can they build around that? Well, I think even beyond, uh, obviously, I agree that uh, going from Michelle Terrien to Claude Julian as an upgrade, uh, the thing that I love about it, and you know, if you were a pro Bergerman guy, this is the point you'd be making, is that I like the boldness of it, where yeah. it's like they were like a pretty successful team up right. until that point in the regular season, and all of a sudden, like you, you just don't see teams typically do that, where they just fire their yeah. coach while they're still winning and replace him with another guy. Like you just teams yeah. don't do that. It's like it's not classy. It's not. <laughs> it's not. It's not the conservative approach, and that's why guys generally refrain from doing that. And he. Saw a chance to strike, and he realized that if right. I don't if I don't snatch up Claude Julian here, someone probably else yeah. will within the next week or whatever. Like I remember, there was a report that I think Florida was talking about. Oh, yeah, like no. I'm sure Vegas was interested. Definitely. Like, yeah, and, and, and to your exact point, you know, as we said earlier, GM sort of have this incentive to to you know make moves that maybe aren't best for the long term future of the franchise to save their jobs. And as you said, it's a very conservative approach. And Virgin Man took the opposite tack and said, I'm going to make this a very aggressive move to upgrade my coaching uh, significantly. And, you know, I'm at risk of getting fired anyway. So what's the worst that could happen? He yeah. has no downside in that particular situation. So I think it makes perfect sense. I do th- I do think, you know, the, the argument against him, like beyond like specific trades and stuff, is that like they had this pretty clearly defined window where, um, you know, like Price and Pacioretty were making way less mm-hmm. than they probably should and will. And, and so they had this like window where they could take advantage of that yeah. to build around them. And I don't think that they took advantage, clearly didn't take advantage yeah. of that. I mean, some of it is, you know, Price gets injured, for example, right. and all the stuff that unforeseen stuff that we mentioned earlier happens. But now, like, you know, they have one more year of price and then they're probably going to have to pay a lot to keep him. And Pacioretty, two more years and he's like the best, one of the best values in the league right now, making like four and a half million per year. Right. He's, he's going to like nearly double that as well. And all of a sudden. <laughs> now, what I'll say in defense, uh, maybe not in defense, but, you know, uh, 
goaltending is the beer goggles of an NHL GM. Yes. Uh, you look at situations significantly differently depending on how your goaltendings play out. I can guarantee you that Ottawa is probably uh, looking at this year's like cup run or Nashville's looking at this year's cup run and saying, yeah, you know, Pekka Arena has a couple of good years left in them. You know, let's hold off on juicy sorrows. Like, yeah. goaltending skews a lot of uh, evaluations of sort of the team quality. And once that bottom falls out, you know, you sort of say, oh, there's a panic. Like, you know, the team's actually pretty good or pretty bad. You just had great goaltending. Um, I think Carey Price sort of, you know, diluted uh, Bergevin into thinking he had a better team than he did and probably prevented him from making the correct moves. Yeah. And then now that he realized that I can't use Carey Price as a, as a crutch, well, now you sort of see movements in the other direction where it's like, okay, I need to sort of build around it. and make It, it just may be too late, as you said. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know what's interesting? I've come, I've come around on uh, on Brian McClellan quite a bit. You guys had him at ten, which yeah. is you know a perfectly reasonable ranking. I think you know, for example, if they get over the hump and they win the cup last year, or this year he sort of gets that uh, Jim Rutherford bump. Yeah, I feel like where five, he's four. he's yeah, yeah. He's, he's he's top three to five. Um, the thing that I found interesting is like you had, the best attribute is UFAs yeah. uh, for him, and you know we, we mentioned earlier in the show how tough it is to rely on that yeah. as being your skill because you're generally like <laughs> overpaying guys right. at the wrong point of their right. career, and it's not something you want to get into the business of doing. But he, you know, he was the assistant GM, so he was obviously around for sure. for building this team sure. with George McPhee. But George McPhee's undoing was not being able to supplement uh, right. Ovechkin and Backstrom with the complementary pieces, you know, right. makes the Forsberg trade, yeah. uh, you know, gives up a guy like Cody Eakin, for example, for more, like a year and a half of Mike <laughs> Ribeiro. He does all this stuff that doesn't wind up working yeah. out and he's out. And Brian McClellan comes in and, you know, someone else brought up this point, but like every summer he's been on the job, he's sort of like, he's kind of called his shot where yeah. he's like, this summer we really need to improve, uh, our you know top six right wing and you know he gets gets justin williams exactly. gets tj oshi yeah. does all this stuff like he's like we need to improve our defense gets matt niskin in like we need we need to improve our third line center he trades for lars right. eller so he does all this stuff so it's like he's kind of a badass in that regard yeah. which kind of maybe might be biasing me giving me a little bit of bias but also like i it's it's so it's so tough it's so tough having these discussions about the capitals always because it's like <laughs> You, all this stuff and you factor it in and then it's like yeah but it's they have then they haven't won and sound of fury signifying nothing yeah no it, it's very difficult for the for the capitals because there's very few people who view that you know pins cap series outside of game seven and thought that the caps didn't deserve the win but right. uh as they said in the wire deserving got nothing to do with it <laughs> uh you know we really like the especially like the aggressiveness for the shagker trade where it's like hey you know was that you know, I wasn't of the of the idea that Shaq Kirk was the ideal fit or the need that they needed to fix right. um, for that team in particular. But at that price, um, you know, the downside risk was minimal. I mean, they basically got the worst case scenario out that trade, but right. it was the right move to make at the time. And that's really where we looked at a lot of these things where even if it didn't pan out. Did that move make sense? The Justin Williams move, you know, even Justin Williams would have been an anchor and stuff and wouldn't have performed. You know, he's like 36 now. Yeah. So that very easily could have gone the wrong way. However, it's worked out spectacularly for the team. So it's like, okay, well, you got the best case scenario in that, but that was the right move to make regardless right. of the outcome. And so I think McCullough in particular has been able to sort of, out of the nine or ten moves that he's made, you know, nine moves, he's got nine out of ten of them right. And I think, like, we try to credit him for that. But but also acknowledging that, you know, they still haven't been able to bear the fruits of that labor in particular. Yeah. Um, okay, one final thing, and then we're going to move on to a different topic. But I do want to talk a bit about David Poyle, who you guys had number one. Yeah. Um, and there's a few interesting things with him. I mean, if you're going to be a detractor or a negative Nancy here, sure. uh, you could point to the fact that he's had uh, – nearly 20 years yes to accomplish what yeah. they've accomplished right now which i think you know we've made a lot of uh snap judgments uh in the show so far about guys like jim sure. banning and sure. don sweeney and, and all and gone so on and so forth after just like three or four years right. of them being at the helm maybe in 15 16 years if they had the luxury of maintaining that yeah. job we'd be viewing them differently so you, you could definitely make that argument at the same time here's my counter um and he said this yesterday, which is really funny um, because it happened so recently. But uh, during the media availability scrum for the Stanley Cup final, he talked about 
uh, the trades he's made. Yeah. And he basically, I've, I don't think I've heard a GM other than Daryl Morey discuss the endowment effect as eloquently as he did, just discussing that, you know, it's very easy to fall in love with your players. Yeah. And we make a concerted effort to sort of evaluate them critically without all of these biases involved. And I just, it just spoke to me so much right. because that's like the issue <laughs> that I have with so many of these trades and moves and teams being conservative uh it all comes from the place of like just overvaluing your own assets exactly yeah and and you're 100 percent right that that's something that be, you know befells pretty much every gm across all sports is like hey i love the guy like, yeah i love him from junior yeah. you know picked him in the back round, uh, the second round and this is my guy uh perfect example is uh when the Spurs acquired Kawhi Leonard, you know, it was a top five, uh, you know, top five MVP. Actually, I think top two MVP candidate this yep. year. Um, and to get him, uh, Greg Popovich had to trade away his favorite player and he cried. And it was, you know, it, it's a very soft story about trading away his favorite point guard to get this unknown guy that no one ever heard of and no one really expected, you know, what the player is today. But he did it, and the team is much better for it. Bill Belichick does this every year, where basically outside of Tom Brady, like if, you're, if you don't have Brady and twelve on the back of your jersey, more than likely you're not going to be on the Patriots for more than two or three years. Yeah. So you, it has to turn around every year. And same thing with Poyle, where he looked at a guy like Seth Jones. Hey, this guy's the number four pick. Probably should have went number one in 2013. You know what? I can give him up. He's going to be a replacement for uh, Shea Weber. And, you know, decides that the market was right to, yep. to move him for Ryan Johansson. Uh, same thing for Shea Weber. Hey, this guy's the, the heart of the franchise. There's no way we can trade him. Except the market was right to move him for a, a better current player and better player in the long term for P.K. Subban. A lot, of, a lot of GMs can't do that. And a lot of GMs don't have the, or, uh, the organizational support to be able to do that. Yep. Sort of as you alluded to. Um, but as I said, we also looked at it specifically for the last five years. And even those trades and acquisitions and draft yep. picks in the last five years, you know, Forsberg and, and Arvidsson and all those guys, you know, that's on a track record as well. And so that sort of made it, you know, basically a one-two, almost a virtual tie between him and Steve Eisman. Um but because he's willing to make those moves, it sort of worked out for for the team, and now they're reaping the fruits of that labor. Yeah. No. Listen. I, I mean, I, I I get it. Like, it's it's very easy for us with nothing on the line here to be like, you know, <laughs> you need to value players this way, or you need to make these moves. But it's like very understandable. You know, you spend you're around these guys every day. You, you there's like a legitimate emotional attachment, especially like imagine what it must have taken for David Poyle to come to grips with trading Shea Weber. Right. Like, it's like, you drafted this guy in the middle of second round. He's been there for a decade. He's like the face of the franchise. Like, he yeah. fits in perfectly with everything. And then, you know, you realize that the value is, you like, you have to make this move because you're generally not going to be able to get a P.K. Subban for Shea exactly. Weber. But at the same time, like, it must be tough, like, to actually pull the trigger on and, it. And more importantly, how do you go into the locker room and, and have guys now look over their shoulders and say, well, they can trade Shea, they can trade me, and... and are you going to get all in by and then we sort of undervalue chemistry especially in the analytics community yeah. but that's something that people think about I work in HR like people ask me about that all the time like hey do I still have a job like it, it's something that's important but when you are able to go to the team and say hey we're doing this for this and it's clearly a win and you're able to sort of package it in the right way and then they can see the on ice effects and the results of it then that's sort of easier to do and I think he has built up enough track record in that 20 years for people to give him the benefit of the doubt and um, you know uh, go Preds. So. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, all right, before we get out of here, I did want to talk with you a bit about, um, it's sort of like, it's been a subplot sure. of the NHL playoffs. Um, you know, especially as, uh, as they've gone along here, people, you know, have been making the comparisons to the NBA playoffs, right. for example. And there's, 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 it's, it's been in the backdrop for a few years now, this idea of, uh, parody and the differences sure. between the two sports and which is the better alternative or what you'd prefer as a fan and i think it's a fascinating discussion i don't you know it's all sort of it's personal <laughs> preference and subjective yeah. so there isn't like i guess you could view it based on uh on revenue and ratings right. and you could that would be an objective approach but in terms of a fan interest you could it's all personal preference yeah. but i think that you know in the nhl we see a lot of it's like the king of parody where it's <laughs> Anything can really happen you, as long as you get into sure. the playoffs. You know, if you get a hot goalie, get a few bounces, maybe some yeah. injuries. Like, there's so much volatility involved. Whereas in the NBA playoffs, uh, for the third straight year, we have the same final. But it's also like there's been a running joke where it's like, wake me up when the finals come <laughs> right. because uh, you know the Cavs lost once on the way. The Warriors 
still undefeated. undefeated. Yeah. And it was, it was, it's, it's, it's been like, it's been written already. Sure. Like we, we knew this was going to happen. Um, so I don't know, like, where are you at with it? Which, which, yeah. which system do you prefer? And is there an, uh, a solution if you think it even needs it? I mean, so I, uh, I will agree with the critics that this year's playoffs have been not, it, the NBA playoffs has not been a, as exciting. Mm-hmm. Like last year's playoffs, which had ended up with the same outcome, were much more exciting, especially from the Golden State standpoint, where they had right. a clear rival to get and overcome. Before they played the Cavs, they had to play Oklahoma City in one of the great series I remember watching. Mm-hmm. There was that clear, uh, you know, number two team in the West. And so uh, the path for them has been pretty easy. So, yeah, it was pretty predictable. And people could have, you know, you put money down in Vegas, all the money would have gone towards this matchup in particular. Right. My counterpoint to that was for the NHL fans, you know, the please like my sport fans, where <laughs> no one's complaining when the Islanders won 19 series in a row in the 80s. Right. And then they followed that up with four straight Oilers championships and stuff. And everyone's hearkening to go back to those days. It's like, oh, Gretzky, you know, oh, uh, uh, Mike Bossy, you know, and the Canadians right before that. And so, it, it, as you said, it really depends on your personal preference. I, I don't think, in particular in the NBA, I don't really think there's a great way to say, oh, you know, we shouldn't have all the best players on one team. Right. Um, well, we, we're going through these GM rankings and, you know, people talk about going to save the super team. Well, look at how they got these players. You know, Seth Curry was a guy that fell at number seven in the draft, was passed over twice by Minnesota, who picked two clearly inferior point guards yep. to, to not get him. And then, you know, pick Clay Thompson, Draymond Green is the second round pick. You have all these moves that sort of went right for that team right. because they had a clear vision and direction. And then they were able to add Kevin Durant, but they right. won 73 games last year without him. So, you know, it's not like you know NBA just concocted. Hey, I'm gonna make Oakland and Cleveland the centers of of the universe. Yeah. Uh, it, it just sort of uh, happened that way. Um, same thing with with LeBron. He played from 2003 to 2009 in Cleveland without winning the championship because they couldn't find players around him. Now that he has them, oh crap! LeBron's a really good player, and with other good players around him, he's even better. Yeah. And so I don't really see a clear a clear path forward for the NBA. And then the NHL, like you know. Do you outlaw goaltending? I mean, I think with more scoring, I think you sort of minimize the effect of one hot goalie in a particular series. But until you do that, I, I don't really see something better. And I think both systems work for both both sports. Um, I'm sure the NHL will love to have more predictability and sort of build narratives around the stars. I'm sure the NBA would love to have a little bit more excitement and drama and leading to the end conclusion. But yeah. I don't think either one's going to trade off, you know, sort of what the outcome was for this year. Yeah. I like I think I'm pro uh, super teams um, because like I, I see the argument that, you know, it's not interesting. And, and the thing that NHL has going for it that, uh, you know, ev- fans of every team, as long as you make the playoffs, you can hold out hope right. that your team could eventually make a long run and win the cup because they have a, like a fighting right. chance. And in the NBA, if, you know, if you're a fan of the Indiana Pacers or something, like you're, you, you weren't going to beat the Cavs this year in the first round. So it's, right. what's the, what's the point really? <laughs> right. But like, I think that, I think we're in agreement that stars drive fan interest. Yeah. Right. And, and from a storytelling perspective, like, I just think that it's a far more uh, interesting and engaging uh, plot that you know you're 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 watching greatness and right. you're watching these teams that are capable of stuff that is like the absolute pinnacle of the sport right. as opposed to just settling for a lot of like not mediocrity but you know it's below uh in yeah. terms in terms of quality i think and, and, and i think actually to let me correct i said the nhl couldn't do anything to fix it i would say what the nhl could do is sort of free agency and nhl is just broken to me yeah uh, to be honest you know there's I can't think of the last top 10 player in the league who's actually moved as a free agent. And so when Steven Stamkos, for example, came up for a contract extension with Tampa Bay, I would have loved for him to potentially go to, you know, Toronto, you know, imagine him and, and, and Matthews on the same team or, mm-hmm. you know, sort of float his services to the different teams, have their sort of free agent meetings and everybody's flying in and out of, you know, Tampa or wherever he lives and sort of have that intrigue and say, hey, you know, even the – we see this with the Penguins now when they got Phil Kessel, who's clearly by far – you know, the third best player on that yep. team. But that added some excitement and intrigue. And, hey, Sidney Crosby's a really good player. Maybe we should add other great players around yes. him and, and really see that on the national stage. And so I think improving that process and sort of, you know, re- removing the onerous, you know, restricted free agent restrictions and, and tricking guys to have his Lindholm and signing, like, six-year yeah. contracts at half their, you know, value. Uh, 
I, I think in the long run that hurts the NHL product because not only during the championships and the playoffs, but even in the summertime, there's nothing to talk about because everything is a fait accompli and everyone knows sort of that everyone knows the outcome for free agency, um, but doesn't know the outcome for playoffs. And I think the NBA model is a little bit better where, hey, you have no idea if Chris Paul is going to stay with his team or, you know, if LeBron's going to leave. Oh, when he went to Cleveland, no one saw that coming. But now the league's in a much better place for it. Well, I think that, um, you know, this could probably be like a full, uh, (laughs) a topic for a full podcast. But I I think that uh, the, you mentioned the restricted free agent system. And I think that there has... Um, there hasn't really been a recalibration yet, and like there's gonna an advantage there for teams to to take advantage of it right now until there is. But like you know, recently uh, the compensation uh, structure was released for what you have to pay, what you have to give up in terms of picks if you sign a guy, and it hasn't like nearly adjusted enough for how valuable the guys in question are because of what we know with aging curves and the most productive years, where like if you're able to just pluck a guy who's 22 23 or whatever and is about to like hit his peak right then for a few years that's way more valuable than whatever these whatever these picks you're going to wind up giving up for them right so it's but then you you reach the issue where it's like i don't want to say necessarily collusion but it's like you see this where uh the nhl is all about class and sportsmanship and stuff and and so you don't you don't see gms uh trying to steal players from from their peers in that manner uh you know when we saw the ryan o'reilly thing, it was like a whole whole thing like oh i can't believe this happened (laughs) like it's like I, I, i think the sooner we reach a level where teams are willing to do that sort of stuff and we see more movement like that it's going to create so much more fan interest and and relevance and i think the entire process is going to be so much more engaging and ultimately that is a good thing for the nhl even if you know there's some hurt feelings involved yeah i mean that's exactly it i think you know the ryan (laughs) o'reilly saga was you know interesting to see play out but it's like i was hoping that you know truba or kucherov or or lindholm when someone would push back and their agent would push back and say no i'm worth you know if i was out on the open market today i'm worth eight million dollars a year yeah you know give me you know seven million or whatever i'll give you a hometown discount um, but until somebody sort of puts their neck on the line like that, I mean, I hope John Tavares can do that to sort of push because, you know, the rising tide lifts all boats. And we see this in every other sport but the NHL where, you know, this sort of big time free agent sort of sets the market and everyone uh, benefits in the long run because of it, even the owners. Um, but until somebody does that and so- someone has the-, the guts to do it, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm. I'm holding out hope. I think you know, as we as we see, uh, we, to, to put a ball on this, we we're talking about GMs and front offices. We were you know talking about how they're becoming more progressive, and we're yeah. seeing uh, more people involved, and it's headed in the right direction, slowly but surely. And I think that <laughs> eventually we'll reach that point. I like. I, I don't know. It's fascinating because I'm looking. So, like last year, for example, uh, the RFA compensation uh, for a guy. From five point six million to seven point five, which is presumably what like Anikita Kucherov fairly right. should have gone for, was a first, second, and a third. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, if you called, uh, if you called the, the Tampa Bay Lightning and you're like, I'm going to give you a first, second, and third for Nikita Kucherov, Steve Eisman would probably hang up instantly. Right. Exactly. So it's it's <laughs> it's, it's it's funny to me that he wasn't signed to an offer sheet and uh yeah i mean uh, and, and yeah as you said uh, there's a there's a lot of conservatism within yeah. the gm ranks and so even you know just a, a quick z- example to, to wrap it up is when uh martin hansel was traded from arizona to minnesota uh you know minnesota got or arizona got back a first and second round pick and i'm like Okay, that's cool, but why, why wouldn't you sort of backload those and wait a year or two yeah. to get those? You know, Minnesota's okay this year, but, you know, wait a year or two, wait for Suter and Parisa to age out and, and basically do what the Boston Celtics did, where they're yes. the number one team in the league this year and also have the number one pick in the draft because yeah. they were smart enough to say, hey, five years from now, this team that's going all in is probably not going to be that great. But, you know, that's just not how GMs think. And so you sort of this conservatism sort of, you know, well, and you want instant rewards, right? Because yeah, exactly. we talked about maybe if you do that five years from now, you when those picks come to fruition, you're not going to be there. Yeah, but 
I think you can't. No one should be going through their jobs like I'm not trying to get fired. <laughs> no, you're. you're I speak for to, yourself. I don't well, know. yeah, you try to go for glory, and at the end of the day, your goal is to win a championship. And if you don't ultimately deliver on that, you know, you may get the lifeline that Dave Poyle got, but for the most part, you know, you're not going to be there long enough to see to see it through anyway. So I think every time I uh, I pull up my Twitter app on my phone, I say to myself, "Don't get fired, Demetrius." Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> well, this is why we don't hang out as much as we should. Chris, man, thanks for uh, thanks for taking the time. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, appreciate it, man. Uh, yeah, we'll get you back on sometime here down the road. And, uh, you know, if you ever get on Twitter, uh, <laughs> please let me know and I'll, and I'll plug that Twitter handle. Okay. <laughs> the Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO Cast. Mm-hmm.